Does the federal Stark law apply to state Medicaid reimbursement? Well, interesting question, but from an operational perspective, does it really matter? Captain Integrity Productions is excited to announce Bob Wade has joined the tier one ranked national law firm of Nelson Mullins, but we are still Stark integrity. Captain Integrity Production and the law firm of Nelson Mullins presents Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. Stark Integrity explores the world of the Stark Law and healthcare compliance with our nationally recognized Stark Law, Fraud, and Compliance Attorney, Bob Wade. Bob has a national healthcare legal and compliance practice that focuses on the minions of the Anti-Kickback Statute, False Claims Act, and the Stark Law, including fair market value and commercial reasonableness. Although Bob is a law partner in the national law firm of Nelson Mullins, the views expressed in Stark Integrity are Bob's personal views and not the views of the firm, and they are not intended to be legal advice. Now, without further ado... I give you Captain Integrity, Bob Wade. Welcome to Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. My name is Bob Wade and I am your host. Today I'm going to dive into the Medicaid Stark Pool. And this episode this is part one of two parts titled Children's Hospitals, Medicaid, and Stark Law Compliance. And I want to discuss the application of the federal Stark law to Medicaid reimbursement. And this is primarily an issue involving uh, pediatricians, like if an acute care hospital has pediatricians on their staff with respect to the referrals of those pediatricians to the hospital, or more importantly, for children's hospitals. Because the majority of a children's hospital's revenue will come from the Medicaid program because obviously children's hospitals provide treatment for uh, children and they are typically Medicaid recipients, not necessarily Medicare, although they could be, uh, that is extremely rare. So this is part one of a two-part series. In part two, I will be interviewing Andy Lenoble. Andy is the Associate General Counsel of Nationwide Children's Hospital in Columbus, Ohio, and it's a nationally recognized top-tier children's hospital, and we'll be talking a little bit about how Nationwide Children's Hospital, as a children's hospital, recognizes the federal Stark Law, the interplay between the federal Stark Law and the state Stark Law, or many Stark Laws, otherwise known as the Physician Referral Statutes, as well as the Anti-Kickback Statutes. So if you're listening to this episode, Part 1, I strongly encourage you to listen to Part 2, where we dive into a little bit more of the operational aspects of how a hospital that is primarily recipient of Medicaid dollars, whether or not those dollars have to apply to the strict requirements under the federal Stark Law. 
And let me say at the outset, and I'll probably do this again with the three Captain Integrity Punch Points, is that from an operational perspective, whether or not you want to take the legal position that the federal Stark Law does not apply to Medicaid dollars, I still believe it is in your best interest to operationalize physician financial arrangements with pediatricians uh, if they're referring Medicaid patients to apply the strict standards under the, the federal uh, Stark statute. Although, I do also want to say as a, as a lawyer that if I'm representing a children's hospital or a hospital that has a financial arrangement with a referring pediatrician and that pediatrician refers only Medicaid patients, that you may be able to assert, and I'll talk a little bit about the legislative, statutory, and regulatory issues here, you may be able to assert that the the, the dollars that are reimbursed for physicians' referred services uh, would not apply uh, because they're Medicaid dollars uh, versus Medicare dollars. So with that, let me get into a little bit of the history here. Uh, back in 1993, the Omnibus Budget Reconciliation Act uh, was passed and it expanded, significantly expanded, the application of designated health services. Uh, but also, uh, there was a new chapter added to the Medicaid uh, chapter under the Social Security Act. It's section 1903, in case you wanted to geek out and take a look at that. And at that section's titled Payment to States. And this can be found at 42 USC section 1396 B as in boy, S as in Sam. Again, 1396BS. Again, I think it's interesting that they call it BS. But anyway, according to that section, under the payment to states, it says that no payment shall be made to a state, arguably for the state Medicaid program, under this section, that's the, the federal reimbursement section, for expenditures for medical assistance under the state Medicaid plan consisting of a designated health service, as defined under the federal Stark Law, furnished to an individual on the basis of a referral that would result in the denial of payment for the service under the Medicare program if Medicare provided for coverage of such service to the same extent and under the same terms and conditions as under the state Medicaid plan. So basically what this is saying is that if reimbursement is paid under the state Medicaid plan, According to this statute, again referred to as the Payment to States statute, is that the payment could be denied if the payment did not comply with the requirements under the federal Stark Law if the referrals were designated health services. So the way this statute has been interpreted has been interpreted to, to govern the payments from CMS to a state Medicaid program, but does not specifically prohibit a state from submitting claims to CMS the way that the provider, and here I'm gonna use the hospital as the provider, the, the same way that the hospital submits claims uh, to CMS for the reimbursement of Medicare claims. So again, this has been interpreted as 
being a restriction for payments made from CMS to a state Medicaid program. So CMS to the state and not necessarily restricting the reimbursement that is made from the state Medicaid program to the provider like a hospital. So the payment to states statute was passed in 1993. In 1998, CMS proposed regulations, and sometimes it's just great just to read the regulations as to what CMS was stating. So here is what was stated in the regulations. And if you want to find a copy of this, this is in 63 Federal Register 1659, and it was issued on January 9, 1998. It says, we, this is CMS, do not believe the Stark Law rules and sanctions apply to physicians and providers when the referral involves Medicaid services. The first part of Section 1903S imposes a requirement on the Secretary to review a Medicaid claim as if it were under Medicare and deny federal financial participation if a referral would result in the denial of payment under Medicare. Section 1903S does not, for the most part, make the provisions of Section 1877, that's a Stark Law, that govern the actions of Medicare physicians and providers of designated health services apply directly to Medicaid physicians and providers. As such, these individuals and entities are not precluded from referring Medicaid patients or from billing for designated health services. A state Medicaid program may pay for these services but cannot receive federal financial participation for them. And since 1998, through the Phase 1, Phase 2, Phase 3 regulations and the final rules, we have been expecting CMS to embed into the regulations the application of Medicaid referrals to the federal Stark Law. However, they have not done so. Uh, so we're still limited by this statute, the Payment to States statute, as well as these regulations that came out in 1998. But wait, <laughs> there's more. Now comes the Department of Justice and the False Claims Act. So in the past several years, the Department of Justice has taken the stance that designated health service entities who bill Medicaid violate the False Claims Act when they engage in financial relationships that would be non-compliant with Stark and fail to report those relationships to the state. So this is the Department of Justice now taking the position that if a financial arrangement does not comply with the federal Stark law and a DHS entity like a hospital bills the state Medicaid program and those arra that arrangement is not compliant with an exception, that the False Claims Act could bring in the federal application of the Stark law to those Medicaid referrals. So literally, it is through the False Claims Act, because federal dollars are involved in the state Medicaid programs, the Department of Justice is taking the position that the federal Stark Law does apply. And that is because the state programs are participating in the receipt of federal dollars through the Federal Financial Participation Program 
under the Department of Health and Human Services. And I'll unpack a couple of cases here. So first off is the Halifax case uh, down in Daytona Beach. And as listeners know, I was the compliance expert to the Board of Commissioners under their corporate integrity agreement. So in Halifax, it was alleged that the financial arrangements that Halifax had with several physicians did not comply with the federal Stark Law. And as a result, the referrals that were received from those physicians, including, and this is what was alleged by the Quitam Relator, including the referrals of Medicaid services, violated the False Claims Act. And the hospital, Halifax, filed a motion to dismiss, but the case, and this was led by the Department of Justice, so the case withstood the motion to dismiss for failure to state a claim as the court sided with the Department of Justice, holding that the payments to the states section of the Medicaid statute imposed limits on referrals and reimbursements along the same lines as those imposed via the federal Stark law. The court agreed that the hospital caused the state of Florida. So by submitting the claims to the state Medicaid program, the court agreed that Halifax caused the state of Florida to submit false claims to the federal government for services furnished on the basis of the improper referrals for noncompliance with the Stark Law. So here it was not that Halifax directly, but they indirectly caused the state of Florida through the state Medicaid program to submit false claims uh, to the federal government because Florida, the Medicaid program, was a participant in the receipt of federal dollars from the federal government. The next case is Tenant Health. Uh, this is in 2012. Uh, they did not have the same type of issue before the court, uh, but in the Tenant case, the court held that compliance with the federal Stark law was a condition of the government's payment, both under Medicare and Medicaid. If a medical provider certifies compliance as part of the submission of claims. So it's through the certification process when the organization, the hospital filed the claims for reimbursement that they were in compliance with all federal and state laws that that also included the compliance with the Stark Law. The next case is the Citizens Medical Center case. And this is interesting because the Department of Justice had one theory of why the federal Stark Law does apply, but the court even went beyond the statement of interest from the Department of Justice. And here is the reading from the Department of Justice statement of interest. It says the False Claims Act prohibits parties from submitting or causing others to submit. And here, causing others to submit, they're referring to the state Medicaid program. So, or causing others to submit false claims for payment to the federal government. If a medical provider, like a hospital, knowingly or recklessly submits to a state Medicaid program claims for services that are prohibited under the payments to state regulation without disclosing a potential federal Stark issue, then that provider, the hospital, may be held liable under the False Claims Act for causing the state Medicaid program to, to submit false claims for payment to the federal government. So that's indirectly. 
so it was the hospital causing the state Medicaid program to submit false claims to the federal government, but the hospital here was not submitting direct claims to the federal government. They were submitting the claims to the state Medicaid program. So in this Citizens Medical Center case, one of the hospital's arguments was that the claims alleging Medicaid-related False Claims Act violations should be dismissed because the Stark Law does not apply to Medicaid. This argument proved unpersuasive, and the court sided with the relators in this case, going beyond even what the Department of Justice argued. While the Department of Justice argued that the hospital could be liable under the False Claims Act for causing the state to submit false claims to the federal government, the court here held that the hospital could be liable both directly and indirectly. And now I'm reading from what the court stated. The court stated that the only difference between holding a defendant liable for stark predicated False Claims Act violations based on Medicare claims and those based on Medicaid claims is that the former, the Medicare claims, are submitted to the federal government directly, while the latter, the Medicaid claims, are submitted to the states, which in turn receive federal funding to help pay the claims. It does not matter, so this is a continuation of what the court says, it does not matter for purposes of the False Claims Act whether a claim is submitted to an intermediary, the state, or directly to the United States government. In the last case I will be emphasizing in this episode is the All Children's Health System case. And here, the allegation was that the hospital paid above fair market value as well as volume-based incentives for base salaries and bonuses. The court in the All Children's case held that the Stark Law, the federal Stark Law, applies directly to Medicaid via Section 1903, and again, that's that payment to states section, and any statement to the contrary in unimplemented proposed regulations has no binding force. So they basically disregarded anything that CMS stated in their proposed regulations. So in all these cases that were adjudicated, basically says that a hospital, if they bill Medicaid, then first off, they are indirectly causing the state to submit a claim to the federal government through their participation, uh, through the receipt of federal financial uh, participation uh, contributions from the federal government to fund the state Medicaid program. So that's indirectly. Or secondly, they could be doing it directly because directly through the certification of those claims, they are certifying that the claims are accurate. And under the False Claims Act, they would say that part of that certification, since federal dollars are involved, that part of that certification is that the claims comply with the federal Stark Law statute. And their failure to comply with the federal Stark Law statute is a false claim. So in effect, then they would be doing it directly uh, versus indirectly. So now it's time in this episode for the three Captain Integrity punch points. Captain Integrity punch point number one, there is still an argument that when a provider like a hospital submits Medicaid claims, that those Medicaid claims submitted do not violate the federal Stark law uh, because even the payments to states 
is a regulation regarding the payments by the federal government to the state Medicaid program. It does not cover the payments made by the state Medicaid program to the hospital provider. Even though some of the cases that I've referenced take a different position because of the direct certification or indirectly causing the Medicaid program to submit claims to the federal government. Captain Integrity Punch Point number two, regardless of whether or not the federal Stark Law applies, many states still have their own state Stark Law statutes and regulations, as well as the federal anti-kickback statute still applies uh, regardless to both Medicare and Medicaid payments. And Captain Integrity Punch Point number three, and this is one of those, does it really matter? And that is that because of the requirements under the anti-kickback statute and the, the biggest principal points under the anti-kickback statute, as well as Stark, is fair market value and commercial reasonableness. And obviously there's a lot of other nuances, as, as a lot of the episodes say, but it, it really does not matter because those principles, fair market value and commercial reasonableness, apply regardless of whether or not the federal Stark Law applies because the anti-kickback statute applies. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode, the Stark Law, or healthcare compliance, you can contact me at bobwadecaptainintegrity at gmail.com or my law firm email address at bob.wade at nelsonmullins.com. You can review this and any other episode of Stark Integrity at the Captain Integrity website at captainintegrity.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn under Bob Wade. I hope the three Captain Integrity punch points will help you with the Stark Law and compliance. In closing, remember that integrity depends on you and me.